Okay, cool. It's so good to see you guys on a scale of thumbs up to thumbs down. How's everyone's week going? Okay. Most people, it's this. This must be the post-Morwar fallout that, that you guys are feeling. I don't know. What's a Football. It's football season. Everyone's fantasy draft is, league is going like this, or worse, it seems like. Besides you guys. You guys are having a good week. No, I'm having the best week of Okay, yes. good. <laughs> um, well, I feel like it's been a while since I've gone to um, hang out with you guys up here, and I'm really glad. And if you aren't glad, this is the last time before I have a baby. So just power through 15 to 20 minutes with me, and you don't have to hear from me again for a while. Um, but I was wondering, and I feel like you guys have wondered this too, what does God look like? Have, has anyone ever wondered what God looks like? I feel like that's obviously a mystery to us, but um, maybe you've seen a movie or you've heard a story that someone has died and maybe said that they've gone to heaven and saw Jesus. Maybe a picture that looks like this. Or even said that they saw a picture of what Jesus looked like. They died and saw a picture of what he looked like. Maybe it was something like that. And most of us in the room probably haven't personally had that experience. So regardless of what we choose to believe about those stories, at the very least, I would probably think that that gained some of your interest when you heard that story. Whether you believe it or not, you're like, oh, dang, you saw what Jesus looks like? What was it? Like, you probably saw the article, like, child sees Jesus. Child goes to heaven and comes back and tells everyone. And you probably click on it, or you, if you read real books, open the book and want to know, or read on the back, what, what was it like? Um, and I think we're wondering this, because I think we're all wondering, like, what does Jesus think about me? Or what does he look like? What does he sound like? What does he think about my non-Christian friends? Our souls are longing to know and see God, and that's a good thing. And I think we just want to know exactly for ourselves so that we have that little piece of affirmation. Okay, I know what God's like. I've seen him, and I know. It's hard to know without having that face-to-face connection, and so I think we're all wondering, what is God like? Last week, if you were here, Tyler kicked off a new study of what book? Nice. Um, he kicked off Colossians with us, and he shared in the reality that Jesus, in Jesus, we're granted all wisdom and understanding and endurance for a life of following Jesus. Um, Paul, the author of the book, is writing to the church at Colossae, and they're actually being challenged to believe that in Jesus' death and his life and his resurrection, that is enough to make them right with God. They're being challenged with that, and they're struggling to know, is Jesus really enough? And I think that I would challenge us, or I would step into the challenge that I think that we're struggling with the same thing, the same question today of, is Jesus really, really enough? Did he really, that the fact that he came and died and went to the cross and was resurrected, is that enough to make me right with God? I really don't have to do anything. He has finished the work. So if you have um, a Bible with you, would you turn to Colossians? We're still going to be in chapter 1, just 15 through 20, five verses. If you have it or if you can pull it up on your phone, do that. And if not, it's going to be on the screen for us. Colossians 1, 
and I'll read it. Starting in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay, so last week we read the very beginning of Colossians, and like most books, the author sets up the story. He gives all the introductions that we need, um, but in this section he's actually moving to his main purpose of the story. Is Jesus really, really enough? Um, and so introductions set aside, he's getting to the main purpose, and a lot of our Bibles have headers. Does anyone have a header? Can they tell me what it says? The like start of the section that we read? Of what we read? What does it say? Oh, um, the preeminence of Christ. Yeah, the preeminence of Christ. Preeminence is a big word, and we don't usually use it very often, but does anyone know what preeminence means? Yes. Yes, kind of. Anyone else have another synonym or guess? Oh, yeah, Debbie. Yes. Um, I think flash up on the screen, I found a... A uh, definition from Merriam-Webster just means imminent above or before others, what you guys said. Um, also meaning superior, supreme, or surpassing. Um, so it can mean all of those things. Um, and I think that this might just be the pregnant lady in me, but when I think of supreme, the first thing I usually think of is not Jesus, but pizza. <laughs> I'm not surely sure what that says about me, but... Um, Preeminent is a way that we're, that we're describing who God is and what he's like. He's above all else, before all else. He surpasses all else. Um, and if you'll look at verse 16 and 17 with me again, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Um, if you heard the story of the Bible at all, you're probably familiar with going all the way back to Genesis, that he spoke the universe into existence. God spoke, and the universe was here. And so I feel like um, that's a big thought, and it sometimes sometimes is a little bit vague. So think about it. The Rocky Mountains, he created them. The Grand Canyon, he created it. The Niagara Falls, he created it. Um, And not only did he create it, but he's holding it together still. Um, and I, when I was studying my notes, was thinking about what does it actually take to hold these things together. Um, in the Niagara Falls, I looked it up, 3,160 tons of water flow over the Niagara Falls every second. And he's holding that together. That's pretty complex, a little more complex than what we would mostly even think about. Um, so 
I think all of us would say we want to go to those places. I know that Oklahoma is pretty fascinating to see all the rolling plains that we have. But these things that God created are beautiful and magnificent. And there's a reason that when you see them, it sometimes, and I'm a feely person, but it sometimes like actually draws tears to your eyes when you see something beautiful. And someone that maybe isn't even a follower of Jesus would say, like, that's God's creation. Because it's just that magnificent. And he's holding that together. Their um, mountains are pretty big, which I um, think we all know. But um, here's a picture of me and Tyler, and the mountains are kind of cut off how big they are. But we really like the mountains. And I know that we're not really tall people or big people to begin with. But whenever you set us and Cecil next to all of God's creation, it's so huge and magnificent. And you start to realize how small you really are or how um, complex the nature around you is and how simple you are. And so I think I make that point only to say that um, Jesus didn't, or God didn't create um, all of creation alone. And he's not only holding that together, but he created you and he's holding that together too. Um, And so when we think about the complexity of all of the things that God's holding together at all times, things like he says in the text, Paul says in the text, visible and invisible like time and wind and all the things that he's holding together, um, he's holding together our lives. And so I feel like um, we get so caught up in all of the things, but we forget that he's actually holding together ourselves too. For most of us in the room, I think that if I asked, do you trust God? You would say yes. Um, you might even be smarter than me and remember to pull out a dollar bill and say, look, it says right here, in God we trust, all of us, we do. Um, And I think that we, yes, would say that, but if we actually turned and looked at our lives, it would be a little more telling that we put a little more faith and trust in ourselves, um, in our friends, in our culture's view of the world, or... um, Yeah, and money. And money itself, yeah. We would probably say I trust in the green dollar bill a little bit more than what's actually written on it. Things that we feel like will satisfy. But Jesus created the whole world that we see with our eyes and calm storms. So what makes it so, so hard to trust in him? Um, Some of you, actually, I don't really know if any of you would know this, but one of my fatal flaws in Tyler's eyes is that I am not a um, movie watcher, like, at all. Like, actually, movies just pretty much are a soundtrack to put me to sleep. And when I do see a movie, I typically feel like if I've seen it once, I've seen it enough. And, like, I know the story. I don't need to see it again. Um, And Tyler loves movies and always says, what's this quote from? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, But a movie that I really, really do like, probably will be a little underappreciated in this room, is Miss Congeniality. Um, has anyone seen Miss Congeniality? Okay, great movie. Um, Sandra Bullock, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to give you a great recap from a non-avid movie watcher. Um, Sandra Bullock is an FBI agent. She goes undercover as a pageant contestant because she um, is told, or the FBI is told, that there's a threat to the Miss United States pageants and they're going to bomb the pageant. So she goes undercover, is super out of her element, becomes this amazing pageant queen, um, and the pageant happens. It gets to the very, very end, 
And if you haven't seen a pageant before, they're like standing at the end, just holding hands, like closing their eyes, praying that they're the winner. And she is standing there left. And it's not because she really wants someone in the pageant that she cares, but it's because she knows that the bomb the threat that has been placed is actually planted in the crown. So she is hoping, like, please let me win so that I can control the situation and prevent any bad and evil from happening. And um, they call her name as first runner-up, and the girl that's standing there is like, you know, oh my gosh, like, so excited, because she doesn't know that there's any danger even to the pageant. And so they're trying to escort her off the stage, and she is about to be crowned Miss United States. Um, and Senator Bullock is being fought off by everyone. She's the first runner of FBI agent. And she's being fought off by everyone. And she runs up and she just starts fighting with the girl because she knows that there is danger coming, that this crown actually is a bomb, and that there's going to be terror happening if it's placed on her head. So she's fighting for it. But no one knows because she's the only one that can see all the good. And my point of this is she finally rips it away and saves the pageant. And there's a really funny gift that I really want you guys to appreciate. This is what people think about pageants. But she's fighting because she knows and no one else understands that if she lets the crown stay in her head, that evil will come. Um, and I, I tell you all of this silly story to tell you that. I think that, that the winner is how I often feel when it comes to um, letting Jesus be the supreme authority authority in my life, um, and, and he's so much more like Gracie Lou or Sandra Bullock in the movie. He can see the big picture, and he knows that letting me wear the crown would be destruction, um, but he fights me for it, and he actually goes after me and takes it from me because he really does know that he's a better king, um, and I'm sure you know this, but Jesus actually did take the crown and died on the cross on, with the crown on his head. Um, and he did that for us so that we don't have to be king anymore um, because he just does a lot better job um, with his authority that he uses for grace and for goodness when we really use it for ourselves and for fame and for all of the shallow and selfish needs that we really want. Um, if you'll look just a little bit further with me into scripture on just verse 19, Paul says then, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Um, so really, he finishes this, this, he finishes this out with saying that not only is God supreme, and not only did he come before all things, um, and that this world was really created by him and for him, but also that in his son Jesus, God was fully pleased to dwell, and that he did that so that he could reconcile all things to himself. So God's coming after you, um, and he's really coming after your heart, but he doesn't do that with an iron fist. And I think that's really hard to believe sometimes because there are just certain words that when you hear them, they make you like wince a little bit. And I think that sometimes authoritative and supreme are those words that make you feel like, I just don't know how I can believe that those words can mean good and gracious and caring and compassionate, but they do. Um, and Jesus shows us that in his character and in his message that he really will reconcile all things to him. Um, 
And that doesn't just go for between us and God, although it does mean that. He makes promises. Sorry, I've never taught on an iPad before. Um, he makes promises to reconcile all of the broken things in the world, um, whether he reconciles them back to him on earth or in heaven. Um, I was thinking about what some of those things would would be to be examples, and I think of the Amazon burning. Um, I think we all probably forgot because Hurricane Dorian unfortunately stole a little bit of its thunder, but the Amazon rainforest is still burning, and that's not right in God's eyes. Um, today's 9-11, almost 20 years ago, really terrifying and sinful and broken things happened to our country and our world, and um, maybe even affected some of your families, I don't know, but um, those things that happened, God promises, whether on earth or, or in heaven, he will make right. Sin and destruction in the world, really, they just are surrounding us, whether it's hurricanes and natural disasters or just intimately personal things like um, parents separating or um, a classmate taking their own life, just people that are mean and, and hateful. Um, they surround us, and I think that that probably feels real and hits home for everyone in the room in some way or another. But Paul reinforces the preeminence of Christ is not only that he's divine creator. It's not only that he created such magnificent and beautiful things, and he's holding them together. But it's also that he sent his son Jesus in human form so that he could bring peace to all of the broken things in the world through his finished work on the cross. To my friends that would not yet call Jesus um, their supreme authority, I think I would just challenge you this, that if you really want to know what God is like, he's given us Jesus as a picture of that. Um, at the very, very beginning of the text, it says, he being Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's given us that, and there are a lot of voices in the world that will tell you what God is like. They'll tell you maybe that God is a bigot, or that God's a racist, or that God just really wants to steal everything fun and pleasurable from you, and he doesn't want you to have that. But this text that we have really clearly tells you who Jesus is and his character and his heart towards you, that everything was created by him and for him, but also that he brings peace between you and God by his finished work on the cross. And to my friends that would say that they are followers of Jesus, I think we're called to evaluate the volume that we give the voices in the world versus the volume that we're really giving Jesus over our lives because the world is so noisy and loud and I think it would be silly to assume that if you follow Jesus, you just won't have to hear those voices anymore. Um, so I think that it's a good reminder for us and a good invitation today to remember that he did step down from heaven to step onto a cross with a crown on his head that is much less glamorous than a beauty crown, but a crown of thorns. And he did that because he's loving and compassionate and he cares for you. Um, and he wants you to know that he really does see the big picture and he really does know what's best for you in his loving authority and care. He wants you to say, Jesus is enough. Jesus is inviting you and me to him today, and he shows us who he really is. And although we can't physically see him, we might not get the joy of um, going to heaven and knowing exactly what he looks like. 
and then living our lives here with that affirmation. We know that we can trust him because he's holding everything together, even our next breath. Um, if you'll let me pray for you, then I would love to send you guys into your small groups and you can spend time with your leaders. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for um, today. Thank you so much in the middle of a week where it feels like um, everything is just back to routine, um, that we get to stop the madness and we get to um, silence a lot of other voices in the room and just hear from you. Jesus, I pray that um, in our small group time that you would continue to um, move students towards you, that you would continue to move leaders towards you, um, and where there are questions and where it's just really hard to believe who you are, um, would you just help us to do that? Because we know we can't do it on our own. We really need your help, um, and we, we love you, and um, I pray that we would honor you in our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.